Well, we always talk about the resurrection on Easter, don't we? I want to look at it a little differently today. The reason I want to look at it differently is two reasons, really. Number one, we just completed a series entitled Free from Sin. We've been thinking about the price that Christ paid on the cross. Been thinking about what that means to us. Secondly, on Sunday nights, we've been talking about the end times. Uh, what heaven's going to be like is our topic for next week. We've talked about death and what that entails and the, the second coming and the, the judgment day. Heaven and hell, eternity. Between those two things, I thought that let's look at the resurrection today instead of a one-time event, a glorious thing. As Let's look at it instead as a preparation for eternity. This is a special day. Now, I know that. Uh, today, uh, around the world, there's more people than any other Sunday thinking about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, we have more people here than we usually do. Uh, lots of folks uh, come out and worship the Lord on this day. Uh, that's a great thing. Now, we do that every Sunday, in a sense. We meet at the table. Uh, we take the bread and drink the cup. Paul said when we do that, uh, we proclaim that we believe that Jesus died, and we also proclaim that we believe he's coming again. So we do that every Sunday, but this day I know is special. I want you to think about today from this perspective. Uh, Paul wrote this probably toward the end of his life, wrote it to Timothy. He said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And, and now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness. And the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Let me ask you, can you relate to that little passage from Paul? My guess is, if I took a survey and asked everybody that really relate, rate, rate how much you relate to that passage, that it would be a direct correlation to your age. I don't think young people probably think about eternity too much. I know I didn't when I was young. And I think that older people probably think about it more and think about what Paul said there. Uh, I think I relate to it more than I used to for a number of reasons. One, I'm getting older. Uh, two, I've seen more of the troubles of this life and I get tired of them someday. The things that Satan is, does to us. I've been studying heaven lately. We've been studying the end times and thinking about what that uh, means. And I think it means more than we sometimes allow it to mean. I'm planning for the 75th Northside Reunion. You say, well, what's that got to do with longing for his appearing? 
We're going to have a reunion here because this is our 75th anniversary. And as we're preparing for it, I've looked through some lists of people that aren't in the database anymore that used to be here. I've looked through some old directories, and I just keep coming across names and thinking, that'd be really cool to see them again. That'd be really neat if they came back. Haven't seen them in so long. Boy, it'd be good to catch up with them. You can relate to that, can't you? Those kind of things, I think, make us realize a little bit more what Paul's talking about, longing for his appearing. Now, now don't get me wrong. I'm enjoying life. I'm perfectly happy. I'm not quite ready to go in the sense that I want to go, but I'm ready to go. It'll be all right. It'll be really good. When I think about how good it is to just see people on earth that we haven't seen in 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 years, what's heaven going to be like? How good is that going to be? It'll talk about longing for his appearing. We'll get to see him again. So there's a whole lot of, there's a big list of Northsiders that have already gone on. And when he appears, we'll get to see them. I get to see my parents again. My grandparents. All those that have been at Northside when I first came here that have gone on. Now, death, when you think about it that way, a Christian really can't fear death. Not that we want to die, but... One of these days I will. I mean, we might as well admit it. <laughs> and you will too. Well, at least my body will die. And yours will too, unless he comes before that. But God is preparing us for that. Is what I want you to get today. Part of the way he prepares us for that is the resurrection. Now, let's see how. Let's we'll just learn two things today from the resurrection. First of all, the passage that James just read is interesting. After Jesus was buried... The next day, the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees thought, okay, there's one more thing we better take care of. So Matthew records it this way. Uh, they went to Pilate, and they said, sir, we just remembered that while that deceiver was alive, he said, after three days, I'll rise again. Now, I'm filling in here a little bit. We know he can't, but his disciples might come and steal the body and claim that he rose again. So we need you to take care of that. So they asked Pilate, give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. And so Pilate, I'm sure he scratched his head and thought this is the weirdest thing I've ever heard, but okay. So he turned to the soldiers and he said, told them, he said take a guard and go make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went out, and they made the tomb secure. They put a seal on the stone, they posted a guard. Now, I don't know if you see the humor in that. Maybe I have kind of a quirky sense of humor, but that's hilarious. Okay? Uh, can you imagine the host of heaven watching that? I mean, the host of heaven all gathered around God, 
and, and watching the chief priests and the Sadducees and the Pharisees all plot their little thing and scurrying around and issuing orders and the soldiers rolling this big stone in place. And then they put the seal of the Roman government on it. And then they put a few soldiers out there with some spears and swords and stand around it and say, all right, we got this baby secured. The Bible says God laughs. I think he laughed that day. I think it was fall down funny in heaven. I don't know if angels have knees, but that's a knee slapper. (laughs) I mean, they're standing there with deity who made the sun and flung it out there. And they're watching these little men down here scurry around and put rocks in front of things and put seals on it. And get their swords and their spears and think they got it covered. Goes on in chapter 28, on the way as the women went toward the tomb, there was a violent earthquake. The angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I bet the hosts of heaven enjoyed that. I mean, God just spoke. He picked out the angel. He said, go take care of this. The angel caused an earthquake on the way somehow and rolled the stone back. I think Jesus was already gone. I don't think he rolled it back for him. I think he rolled it back so Peter and John could get in there and see what was going on. And these men who were to guard the place were paralyzed with fear. They just fell down like dead men. You see, the problem is the chief priests and the Pharisees and all of them and Pilate were trying to stop the inevitable. They were trying to seal up the Son of God. You can't stop God. That's not doable. It's not going to happen. There's no way in the world they could have succeeded. The power of God is one thing we learn from the resurrection. I read a story, I think I've told you about it before, a, a German countess who was an unbeliever. I mean, a real unbeliever. She was pretty radical about it. She wanted to convince people that there wasn't any God. So she left instructions that when she died, her grave was to be covered with with a huge granite slab. And then it was to be surrounded by huge stones. And the the workers were supposed to connect all the stones and the huge granite slab with these great iron clasps. And then she put a plaque on there that said, uh, This burial place. Purchased to all eternity must never be opened. Well, in one of the crevices between the stones and the granite, a little beech seed got in there. And it began to grow. It sprouted up between the granite and the stones. It grew until it separated the granite and the stones. It pushed until it broke the iron clasp. It pushed on until the granite slab was resting 
at an angle against the trunk of the tree. The tomb was open for all to see. Now, I don't know how big a beech seed is. I've never seen a beech seed. I'm sure it's not bigger than a walnut or an acorn or a locust helicopter seed. But the point is, God put more power in a beech seed, in a tiny tree seed, than all the engineering power that a countess could buy. She said it'll never be open. Maybe God laughed again and said, okay, I'll open it. And put the beech seed there. See, that's point one of what I want you to get today. The resurrection proclaims the power of God. Paul makes that point over and over on things. He says, the power we're talking about, the power we're dealing with, the power that makes you holy, the power that does this, the power that saves you, the power that regenerates you, all of this is the power that resurrected Jesus Christ. The resurrection proclaims the power of God. That's one message of Easter. His soldiers and seals and stones can't stop God. Second point and last point. The resurrection changes the way we look at things. Specifically the way we look at life and death. The resurrection changes all that. Uh, supposedly on ancient maps... The map makers would chart what they knew. Here's where this country is, and here's where this island is, and this is the ocean around it. They'd draw all the things that they knew. They'd draw what somebody had told them from being there. They'd chart what all the explorers had found. And then out on the edge of the map, they would draw dragons and sea serpents and horrible creatures, and they would write on the edge of the map, here be dragons. But we don't know what's out there, but it's scary. We don't know what's out there, but it's bad. Nobody's been able to go that far. And then Columbus got in his three little boats and sailed off that direction toward the dragons, and he came back. Then he told them about it, and the maps had to be changed. If you understand that concept, you understand how the resurrection changes our concept of life and death. You see, when the world talks about death, people that don't admit God and Jesus and the resurrection and all of that, when they talk about it, it's a frightful thing. It's the end. It's a terrible thing. But for a Christian, yeah, death's still an enemy. We, we don't like it. I mean, it disrupts us. It, it, it hurts us. It crushes our hearts. But in the big picture, we look at life and death differently. When God talks about death in the Scriptures... He uses completely different words than the world would ever think of. He says one place that, you know, the end, death, all that. He said it's, it's going to be like a wedding. A wedding? 
He says the church is like a beautiful bride waiting for her bridegroom to come so they can begin their life together. Now, that's an interesting pitch game. Now, I've, I've stood right down there with a number of grooms waiting for those doors to open back there and for the bride to step through. Okay? And the doors open and the bride steps in and I always sneak a little look over at the groom. You know, we've never seen an ugly bride yet. You know, it's always a beautiful bride. I look over and I see that look on his face and I understand what this wedding's about. One day I looked over and the guy was just bawling. I mean, he just lost it. I thought this is going to be a tough ceremony, you know. He can't get through this. We're going to have trouble later. But he did all right. The Bible says death like a banquet. It says like sitting down to a banquet, being invited to this great feast, and getting to sit down with the hosts of heaven. The joy and happiness and fellowship, that kind of that's the way God talks about death. Not the way the world does. Bible says that death is going home. There's a phrase for you. I was looking for a great quote about going home, and I found the expert, Dorothy Gale. <laughs> You'll get it in a minute. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And we know that's true from experience, don't we? If, if you go someplace, just a day, if you've had a hard day at work, and everything's gone wrong, and the boss is beating up on you, and the world's just falling apart, going home is where you're safe. Going home's good that day. Some of you have traveled to foreign lands, and you enjoy the sights, and you enjoy seeing, maybe you go to a third world country to see a missionary or something. And you enjoy it, but boy, it's good to get home. It's special to get back home. We got family camp coming up in a few weeks. Family camp number 30. Three nights away from home. Three nights with about half of this family. And most of us have the most fun that we have all year. But I want to tell you, Monday's good. Going home is good. That Monday afternoon nap is special. <laughs> Bible says death is like going home. It's going to be good to get home. The Bible doesn't say this, but it occurred to me that in some ways death is like a, a graduation. It's moving from one lifestyle to another. When you're in school, when you're in college, that's a lifestyle. You study and you, you do the things you got to do to get grades and all that, and then you move to the real world. I read a story about a fellow that went through graduation. He said the fellow beside him at the graduation line in college was somebody he knew. They weren't close. They were acquainted. And they made it across the stage, and they got their diploma 
certificate or their enclosures. And they got on down, back down, and he opened his up, and he was admiring his diploma. He was thinking, this is amazing. He said, I really made it. I really got through. And so he poked the guy beside him. He said, let me see yours. And the guy opened his up, and it was empty. He said, what's up with that? He said, well, I'm not really graduating. I got some stuff I didn't finish. Got some things I didn't get done. I got a few tests to take, and I got a few papers to write, and the college gave me some extra time. I've got a few extra weeks, and if I can get everything done and turned in and passed and all that, then they'll give me a diploma. But I'm not really graduating today. They just let me walk across and look like it. The first guy thought, you know, that's really weird. You know, we went through all this together. We had some classes together, we studied together, we spent time together. One graduates and the other one doesn't. See, I told you I wanted to look at the resurrection differently today. I know it's a day of celebration and joy. And almost every Easter, I leave it at that. I just talk about the the good things. I want everybody to go home happy and celebrating and and joyful about what Christ did for us. But after all we studied about being free from sin, and after after studying what the second coming and the judgment is going to be like, I'm fearful. I don't want to paint a picture of false hope. I don't want to do that today. See, if I talk about the glory of his resurrection, which it is a glorious, wonderful thing, then then some might leave thinking, well, everything's all right. Everything's all right for everyone. And it isn't all right for everyone. You see, some people graduate and some don't. Some are waiting for the bridegroom to appear. And some aren't. Some are invited to the banquet. And some aren't. Some have a mansion reserved at home. Some don't. Listen to this. Paul says that the cross is a blessing for those who accept its sacrifice. And he says it's a curse. For those who turn away and don't acknowledge the cross. He says there's two sides to it. When we talked about being free from sin over the last few weeks, talked about claiming that gift of grace, some people accepted that. Two weeks ago, a young man named Scott Acknowledge that he needed that gift. Last week, a young man named Shane walked down the aisle with his friend Craig. He told us that he wanted that gift that Christ paid for. He wanted to be free from sin. And both of them, they went down into the waters of baptism. They were buried with Christ. They died to the old man of sin. They rose to walk a new life. And today they see the cross 
as an unbelievable blessing. Okay? Well, the resurrection is the same way. The, the empty tomb is the greatest source of joy if Jesus is your Lord. Because you see the power in it and you see the change between life and death and what you think about them. But it's also a great source of judgment and condemnation if you don't accept it as true. Now let's put all this together. You can't stop God. You can't stop him with stones in front of tombs or seals or soldiers. You can't stop God. He's preparing this world for eternity. This is not where we're supposed to live. This isn't home. He's preparing this whole world and us for eternity. And the message of Easter is, if you've accepted that gift of grace, he's preparing us for something much better. It's a new world. It's a better world. It's a greater world. But if you haven't accepted that, if you haven't obeyed Christ, if you've rejected him, then there's a place prepared for those who don't accept him. So I want to close this little different resurrection sermon by offering his invitation. I realize in this bigger crowd there is someone here who's never accepted Jesus as Savior. Scott and Shane, I mentioned, they were the only, not, they were not the only two who needed the joy of forgiveness and the confidence of the resurrection. They were just the only two who put aside all of Satan's excuses. They had a lot of excuses. Satan didn't want them to. Tried to talk them out of it. But they were two who said, no, I'm not going to listen to that. I know what Jesus did for me. I want to claim that gift of grace. I want to be confident in his resurrection, not just that he is risen, but that I too shall rise. They obeyed Christ in baptism. So I'm asking you this morning, if you're here and you haven't done that, don't let today escape. Don't let this moment go past. If you're not free from sin, if you're not filled with a resurrection confidence, if you're not ready for eternity... And come, let's stand and sing.